Welcome to Trek Companions 20th episode. We made it to 20. <laughs> uh, today we are going to be discussing Way of the Warrior, The Visitor, and Hippocratic Oath. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And we are so excited to kick off DS9's fourth season. Here we go. The Way of the Warrior, Season 4, Episode 1, Production Numbers 473 and 474, Original Air Date, October 2nd, 1995, Written by Iris Stephen Bear and Robert Hewitt Wolf, Directed by James L. Conway, Music Composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Penny Johnson as Cassidy Yates, Mark Alamo as Gold Ducat, Robert O'Reilly as Galron, J.G. Hertzler as Martok, Obi Nidfo as Drex, Christopher Darga as Kabok, William Dennis Hunt as Haraga, Patricia Tallman as the Weapons Officer, Judy Durand as Station's Computer Voice, and Andrew Robinson as Garrick. A fleet of Klingon ships are stationed around Deep Space Nine, and the Promenade is swarming with Klingons. However, the warriors aren't their usual antagonistic selves. General Martok, who leads the force, tells Sisko they have come to help the Federation fight the Dominion. But when the Klingons start searching and seizing ships without warrant, Sisko becomes suspicious and enlists the help of Lieutenant Commander Worf to help them find the real reasons for the Klingons' presence. Worf learns that General Martok is leading an invasion force into Cardassia, and he must again choose between his oath to Starfleet and his people. When Sisko learns of the invasion, he also must find a way to save the Cardassian civilian government before the Klingons kill them. Cardassia? Why would the Klingons want to invade Cardassia? According to my source, there has been an uprising on the Cardassian homeworld. Central command has been overthrown and power transferred to civilian authorities. Even if your source is correct, what does that have to do with the Klingons? Yaron and High Council believe the coup was engineered by the Dominion. Do they have any proof? None that I know All of. All right, so, kicking off season four. Uh, now, we, <coughs> we ended season three um, <coughs> with what seemed like a big changeling setup, but we're going to kind of refocus here a little bit. While this does have something to do with the, the Dominion as far as uh, the Klingons' paranoia about them, um, this is obviously more of a the Klingon storyline. Um, so f- there are some firsts. We, we, they changed the opening credits a little bit. <laughs> it's kind of, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird. It's the first time I was conscious of, wow, that really looks better. <laughs> you can tell like the titles were done CG now, you know, and stuff like that. Um, is the station CG in that or do they use, keep using the original model? I couldn't tell. I think the station is still CG, but they've added some, I mean, you mean model. Yeah, the station is still a model, but they they added a couple like little minor CG type ships to it. And then, of course, at the very end of this episode, I'm pretty sure like the stuff that comes out of the sh- of of uh, DS9 uh, during the battle, like the torpedoes and the I think that's all CG. I mean, it looks CG. Um, but oh yeah, and that music change with like the extra bass note, I. I I tried looking it up because I, I thought I'd remembered hearing that Rick Berman requested that, but I couldn't find that anywhere. Was that in my just like like Berman wanted it um, <laughs> jazzed up or something? I don't, know. <laughs> I don't recall. Well, I mean, if I call, at least they recall, didn't add like an opera singer to it. Though. <laughs> well, if I recall right, weren't they having some ratings problems finishing the third season, and that was kind of the reason for Wharf and kind of a yeah, couple so of things. Yeah, really wanted they wanted to shake things up. That was kind of the edict. Now, they didn't tell uh, the producers of DS9 what to do. They just said, shake things up. Um, another thing I remember hearing at the time was that um, Michael Dorn did not want to reprise his role as Wharf because he, you know, he He'd done seven years on Next Gen, and they just finished a feature film. He'd only had a year off, and he didn't want to do it. Um, but then I, I remember seeing a, an interview with him or something where he said they basically offered him so much money that he couldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> Usually how it works. Yeah. Um, so, uh, of course, there are lots of other little changes that we can mention here. But obviously, the biggest change is the addition of Michael Dorn uh, as Worf. So, um, first of all, what do you guys think about bringing a new character in in the fourth season? Secondly, what do you think of the fact that it's, you know, a pre-existing character, a very popular character, Worf? Um, and finally, do you think there would have been any other characters that could have been as successful if they brought them over? Well, I think with the storyline, the way they were going with, you know, the political structure, you know, going on with the, all the different factions fighting in there, it kind of, I think it just kind of just 
it was just the perfect fit. It made sense to have him come in because there's always going to be an issue with the Klingons and, you know, you know, war's been in this position before and just kind of, it, it fits in to me. It fits nicely into the storyline of deep space nine to bring him in. Um, just what what the storyline they had going on here. You, you mean just because of this particular Klingon storyline? Well, the well, yeah, this particular I, Klingon storyline, and then the future Klingon storylines. You know, it just it it, it okay. to me it was more of a natural fit than maybe say bringing you know data in. Well, now now Ira Bear has talked about he thought Worf was was the best choice um, because he is kind of that outsider that you know constantly conflicted character in the same way as say odo the kind of you know the kind of um of um character with a direction problem you know that all the characters on ds9 have you know they're not squeaky clean and that's why he thought uh wharf would work so well um steve what are your thoughts on yeah i would think about adding a character in season four you know now voyager mm -hmm. added seven of nine what season was that season four yeah, it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I, w- I remember at the time being excited because I was a Trek fan and a next-gen fan, too, so I thought it was cool. I, I did have a little bit of a trepidation regarding how it was all going to work out in terms of how they would keep him from getting all the attention just because of the yeah. popularity and so forth. And there were, I remember reading things, uh, even at the time, people speculating that they would there'd be different like second-run syndication rights for the fourth season and on than the first three seasons and this kind of thing, you know? And... Um, but uh, of course, right off the bat, uh, we discover that he's not a focal point. You know, in the next episode, he's he has a secondary storyline, um, and he has his plenty of his stories, but uh, he certainly doesn't hog things um, as it goes on. So I thought I thought it was a good choice, and I know I don't think there would be any other primary character from another series that would work as well. Now, what were you talking about there for a second about? The syndication rights you heard, like like that, yeah. the, once he was yeah. on it, it would be so much more popular. That- it, it was it was speculation, yeah, it was speculation. It might have been like through TV Guide or something like that. I remember at the time reading people speculating things like, oh, maybe there'll be some stations that just want seasons four through seven, <laughs> you know, and stuff like, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Uh, but uh, so so you did you did assume that he would be on for the rest of the series? Yeah, yeah. I remember being worried about how are they going to get him into the movies? And to be honest <laughs> with you, I still always, you know, when you're watching uh, the two films that took place during his time on this show, uh, uh, First mm-hmm. Contact and Insurrection, both times it feels pretty convoluted. Well, yeah. I'll give it to I'll give it to First Contact, you know. Yeah, that made sense. But especially like Insurrection, it's <laughs> it's just like he yeah, shows up. Hey, what are you doing here? Oh, we're too busy to talk about it. Let's go. <laughs> well, I, th- I, I think that was one of um, the, the 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 smaller problems of, of insurrection, so it didn't bother me too yeah, much. Would, you, would it be true then? Does like Michael Dorn have more time on Star Trek than anybody? I never think of it that way, but is that true? I mean, like eleven seasons and four films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, I never think him. I I just don't think of him that way, but I. I suppose it's true. You know, part of the reason I maybe I don't think about him that way is what they did with him on this show was really give him like they did did like the Deep Space Nine version of Worf. And now, you know, for me, whenever I heard that he was going to be on the show, um, I was concerned. I mean, I liked him, of course, but I thought that they were going to start making the show more like next gen. Mm-hmm, it mm-hmm. didn't occur to me really that they could just make Worf more, more like DS9, which is <laughs> yeah. what they well, did. Um, yeah, you, you see that in the next couple episodes. Um, especially, um, yeah. He eventually yeah, moves no. on to the Defiant. What, what's his line later on? I'm not, I'm not sure what episode it is. It's like, well, maybe you will have to get used to me or something like that when he moves on to the Defiant. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember. Um, so they're already setting up this, this stuff between uh, um, Worf and Dax, which mm-hmm. is nice. So that scene with them, um, their their first kind of real scene together um, mm-hmm. on the holodeck is nice. Um, it's uh, it's interesting watching this as as you know the whole ninety minute piece like you get on the DVD, as opposed to you know watching it in syndication. You know when you're seeing mm-hmm. the two separate pieces. Now it was originally aired as a two hour premiere. Mm-hmm. One of one of only what three times they did that on DS Nine? You know the the pilot, the finale, and then this. Yeah, one. I think this, so. I don't think yeah. they did it any other time. Voyager, Voyager did. 
Voyager did the same kind of thing. They had their opener, the finale, and they did have one episode in the middle somewhere, I remember. A sweeps episode. Anyway. Um, well, it kind of makes sense. You know, you look at it there in a, in a weird way, kind of just really, you know, like you said, they were shaking it up, so they were kind of starting it over. Not starting it over, but it kind of had that little yeah. bit of a feel. But it you does know, have, get, there are times the, in this, go ahead. I was just saying, you got the clean shave Cisco, you know, um, you know. <laughs> That's um, another yeah. first we got to mention. Um, th- there are times in this episode where it feels like um, they're stretching time out a little bit. Like there, there are scenes that don't seem so necessary. Um, that said, I do think it, it certainly, the, the big battle at the end is still holds up so well. Mm-hmm. The production value they get out of that, the the the, the all the CG work, or and models too, but mm-hmm. all, all the ship battle stuff at the end, huge battle, the uh, fight choreography, all that stuff, it has this like feature film feel to it that I cannot name for you a Star Trek television episode prior to this that ever achieved that. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. It had the. It still feels that way to me. Well, they just the way they start this episode off. I mean, you know, they they're it's they're they're they get you right into it. You know, you got um Cisco and it was at Kira. By the way, her hair looks much better. It's starting to look more you know feminine <laughs> starting the season. So yeah, I mean, they started off they're looking for a change link, and you know, and then after a few minutes, we realize it's Oda. But they, it's very intense starting off, and um yeah, it just kind of just sets up the way things are going to kind of go from here on out. It's going to get a little bit more intense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but you know the escalation of the Dominion and everything like that, and so this episode really kind of sets it up very well for what we're going to see to come. Have you have you guys ever watched this episode uh, in two parts, or have you only ever watched it as the ninety minute version? I can't recall. Probably have seen it both ways. Yeah, I don't remember. I, I saw it when it first aired, so I would have seen it in two hours. And of course, I've watched this prior, you know, on the DVDs. But I'm yeah. just wondering if you think it works. If you think it works as watch me in one ninety minute chunk, or if it's, hmm. I think it does works. It, the pacing slow down for you. you know? No, the the pacing's good. There's no, I mean, it doesn't. To me, it doesn't slow down or kind of lose you at any point. So it worked for me. Just showing it straight through. Um, so a couple of the first, yes, we we love uh, Cisco's uh, bald head. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks, it just looks meaner. You know, I remember. <laughs> Seeing, reading an interview, I think I think it was Ron Moore talking about that scene between um, uh, when Cisco and Worf confront Martok with, you know, the knowledge that uh, they know that the Klingons are going to invade Cardassia, um, and you've got Cisco in a room with two Klingons, and Cisco's the scary guy. <laughs> and the reason part of that is just because not literally because of his bald head but because <laughs> when his head is shaved you know brooks he he he's more comfortable i think you know yeah mm-hmm. um well, has he done a part with any hair since then i can't recall oh, God, i haven't I seen him so. i've never seen him with hair he just yeah you know he likes that <laughs> it's who he is mm-hmm. um is this the first time we see martok I believe yes. so. Yes, okay. Um, not the first time we've seen Gowron, of course, although is it the first time we've seen Gowron on Deep Space Nine? Uh, no, because he was yeah. in that Quark episode. Whenever. Right, right. House of Quark. That's right. Yeah. Well, wait, but did I, what did I say? On Deep Space Nine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, he doesn't actually come on the station anyway, so I can't, I can't pull that out. <laughs> um, um, what else do you guys want to mention about this one here? Well, do you also, do you think they might have brought and we're going back to Warp, do you think, um, you know, because the, the first three seasons, there wasn't a real big Klingon presence. Obviously, you know, we had the House of Quark and little things like here and that and there. But I mean, I can't, when I was thinking back about it, I wasn't really, you know, you're used to the Klingon presence from the, you know, the first series and, you know, obviously next gen and. So, but there wasn't a whole lot until now, and then you get a whole lot of Klingon presence. In well, I think it's got to be. Let's face it; it's a ratings question. Uh, there's mm-hmm. a reason, you know, the Klingons are very popular. They put butts in the seats, and and uh, there's a reason that the Klingons are the villains, certainly in in more feature films than anybody else. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. um, especially with the um, original series. But um, yeah, even even Next Gen had Klingon villains in feature films. Um, so they're they're very popular, right? Right. 
Um, I thought, I thought uh, out of, you know, it's interesting when a new character comes on and they have all their first encounters with all the other major characters. <laughs> it's always interesting to see how they handle it. And I thought, of course, the, um, his encounter with Odo was, was the best. I mean, the most memorable, you know, their, their conversation and their clashing at first, yet their similarities and in, in some of the issues with their personalities. And so that, that scene when um, uh, Odo confronts Worf and it's obvious that Worf has figured out what's happened, but he hasn't decided what to do about it. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He, Odo, or Worf has figured out that the Klingons are going to invade Cardassia. I, I like <laughs> that scene because it's not that Odo says, you know, you have to do your duty and tell Cisco what you've learned. No, that's not what he says at all. So he says, pick a side. <laughs> you need to, you need to let Cisco know what side you're on. Mm-hmm, that's mm-hmm. the right thing to do. You know, mm-hmm. I like that sentiment. And, and obviously it makes sense coming from, um, you know, Odo understands uh, what it's like to be kind of ostracized from your people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think another thing that makes this so cinematic um, is also you, you, not only are you adding a new character in this one and it's, and it's a double length episode, but you have so many guest actors coming in for one show. I think that helps too. It makes it feel very epic. I mean, you have the big space yes. battles, but you also, oh, here's Ducat. Here's of yeah. course, first time in Martok, but Gowron's back. There's Garrick, you know, on and on and on, and you know. You love Garrick. You know, Garrick. in that exact sentiment that you just said, <laughs> I was thinking about that, like kind of near the end of the episode, uh, as as everybody on the station is preparing for the big battle, you know, and Garrick mm-hmm. goes over there to fight side by side by Ducat. And, and that sense of everybody's in this episode, yeah. you know, that, that sense it reminded I got excited because I was reminded of the kind of the you know the last half of the last season yeah yeah you right know? it just feels so big and epic because everybody's in every episode <laughs> right you know and I got just the first time this is the first time so this is the beginning of the fourth season this is the first time where I kind of felt that way in Deep Space Nine and I forgot what that felt like and I was like oh that's exciting you know and mm-hmm. and it's 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 really this this great uh, point for everything to build to over the course of the years you know mm-hmm. it's like it's like this this wouldn't mean anything as the pilot episode of the series you know no. what we're talking about now everybody's that doesn't mean anything then it means something now yes well i kind of feel like um the setup's over i mean you know the first three seasons were kind of a setup to everything that leads up to the next um four seasons obviously and you know so all that's over and so what everything is set up and it's you're ready to go i mean there's no there's still questions, obviously, but I mean, everything's in place and get ready for the ride. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, Ira Bear has talked about, I mean, this season four is a popular season, um, but Bear has talked about, if anything, um, maybe he was a little bit disappointed that this storyline takes us away. You know, we don't spend as much time in season four on the Dominion as I think mm-hmm. they had planned. You know, they really don't get into that until like the fifth season. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know that, that I was so specifically disappointed in that sense, but I, I do have the, the recollection of always feeling like this battle, this big war with the dominion is impending. It's impending. It's It's going to happen next. It's going to, and, and, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it doesn't, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. you know, I do have that. I do have that sense, um, which True. is not a good feeling. <laughs> right, right. Um, but obviously, but but the writers handled it so well, though. On the other side of things, you know, they handled everything so well. They basically were given an edict to do something different. They they did it in the best way they could. And yes, it's an interruption in in terms of the Dominion and that kind of thing. But obviously, we've all seen the how all this goes through the remaining seasons, and we know how it works out. It is and satisfying. And, yeah. and in a way, this is this is real. You know, I mean, this is what it happens. I mean. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't mean this is what happens in production. I mean, in the world of Star Trek, this is what would happen you know, right. in any kind of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, you going to say something? Well, what I was going to say, if you look back, it's like it's kind of like from the last um, episode from season three. It's like where, the, you know, the changeling tells Odo that we're everywhere. And this is kind of how they, you know, this is how they go about doing it. They 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 want everybody and that quadrant to fight each other and this that's kind of like their plan you don't mean it's they're all underneath you don't see them at all mm-hmm. like you said till more until later on in season five and so on mm-hmm. so in that well, sense I mean, there it's is, like they're mm-hmm. th- there is a reference because we, we had in um in the uh garrick two-parter from the previous season we did hear that changeling say something about uh, you know the federation and the klingons are our, you know the only rivals we are going to have left after this is over mm-hmm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep, it's not out of left field 
what, what yeah. No. Yeah. What about uh, what about the character of Martok? He's great. Yeah, he's a prototypical Klingon. He's great. Yeah, it's it's interesting how that character develops going forward, and uh, and and uh, the what what Hertzler brings to it, and so forth. It's uh, it's a it's a different kind of Klingon, but it's 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 it works, you know, and it's fun to watch. Well, I think we kind of find that he's more of he's he's not a politician. He's a he's a soldier. He's mm-hmm. he's we find that he's an honorable man. He's kind of like Worf in his own way, in a weird way. And I think that's why we see them get along so well going forward. But I love how, I mean, I love the whole scene, the first scene with Worf and him, you know, is like, I've come for my son's blade. Give it to me. And he just gives it to me. <laughs> Although I have to say, you know, a reminder, there's only one spoiler that we said was off limits on this show. And that's what happens at the end of the sixth season. Mm-hmm. Um, so a spoiler here is correct me if I'm wrong, but Martok is not. This isn't Martok, Martok is yeah. it? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I didn't recall. No, it is. Specific. Well, it, it is. is. Well, he, they did the blood test at the beginning. I know, but I, I still think it isn't. Because yeah, I thought that later on when it's established, they they determined that the, the the he's there to to precipitate this conflict between the which Klingons would make sense. Why you know when he says uh, I'll speak with Gowron and you'll have your answer in an hour, he starts the battle with Cardassia right then. Right, which it's interesting to ponder if that was always the plan or if it's just it was the nature of this character and later on they did kind of backtrack, but who knows, you know. See, I don't know. I don't know if I, I believe that or not. I mean, I, I, I haven't seen the episode. I know what you're talking about, but I have to, you know, when we get to that point, I'll watch the episode mm-hmm. again. Um, I don't know. This feels more like Marta. He's more of an honorable man. I don't know exactly when he gets switched or not, but um, I feel like this is Marta that we see down the road. The other thing I wanted to mention was, because um, we're talking about Martok here, it makes me think about uh, Galron. The scene with, between Galron and Worf, I've always thought that was pretty, that was kind of unfair. Like, I, I think of Galron as being, even when I've disagreed with his actions or whatever, they've always kind of, they've made a certain amount of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And um, the way he puts Worf on the line, it, it seems a little bit out of character. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's harsh. It is you know, I'm talking harsh. about the scene on the bridge of the Klingon vessel where mm-hmm. where uh, Gowron tells Worf, join me in fighting Cardassia. Otherwise, you know, all, your entire house is, is demolished. You know, yeah, that seems harsh. I, I agree. Yeah. It seems a bit much. <clears throat> Where's that coming from? Um, I... I don't know if they're, they're trying to establish. I mean, because I was thinking, I was watching the scenes with Worf, and I mentioned the one with uh, Marta earlier, and you always see that inner conflict with Worf, whether he's Klingon, you know, he kind of, if he's Klingon enough, you know, he does a lot of these things, monasteries, the martial arts, to. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I feel like Worf's probably more Klingon than any of them. I mean, you know, that, especially with that scene with Marta, you know, he he doesn't back down from anybody, and I don't know if they're still trying. Because this is this isn't something new that they've done that you saw this in Next Gen, where he's having to make this choice between um, the Federation yeah. and his people. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure if it was necessary or not. I mean, it leads to some interesting episodes down the line, but um, I, I don't know if it was necessary or not to do it to you him know, again. The thing that that has um, always made always endeared War to me is that. It's not a question of honor, but a question of like honesty. He always seems 110% honest in everything <laughs> he does and mm-hmm, says. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk that scene with him and Martok. I like how, you know, if you can imagine a Klingon a commander, or is he Mark, Martok a general at this point? I don't know, whatever, whatever. High ranking Klingon. He's, he's the leader of this fleet, pretty much. Yeah. That, a Klingon of that rank comes into your, your room and you say to him, your son has no honor. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. But it's actually true. But despite the fact that it's true, still you would think that the average Klingon is not going to freaking say that tomorrow. Yeah, Worf is kind of the anti-politician. He, he's, yeah. he's absolutely not political. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't play to get somewhere with something. You know, he'll, he'll do that if it doesn't compromise the honesty, like you said. But, yeah. But, look, he, he knows when he doesn't do as Gairon requests – for example, his brother is going to be pulled off the council. His, we, we're going to see that later too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he knows that's going to be a consequence of his choice that day. Mm-hmm. And he still does it. 
Yep, it's true. You know, so but if you think back to the next gen days, um, he made a choice that for a while, you know, made the House of Moog look bad just because it was the best thing for the Klingon Empire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's true. Um, I do think Worf looks better in command red than yes yeah. Yeah, i agree yeah. didn't he, did he feel weird when he first showed up on the in the episode and he's wearing gold it felt yeah. weird to me yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I also have to mention i re- i love the little scene between um it feels like a filler scene but i like it just because i love garrick so much uh yeah. the scene between garrick and um core because yeah. yeah. you know scene. i love i love garrick and my favorite thing about garrick is you know, subtext and that entire scene is subtext. And yeah. Well, if anything, it gets occasionally on the nose because they literally say it's like the Federation. Right, right, right. Insidious. <laughs> yeah. But, but the neat thing about that whole conversation is it does, you know, it does have that positive tick at the end. It's like, you know what? I'm, I'm still glad the Federation's here to protect us. <laughs> yes. I'd rather they were here than not, you know? So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love Garrick's reaction when he drinks the rubber. He's like, Oh, file. <laughs> <laughs> so bubbly so um you know this episode did achieve the intended results it got it had excellent ratings and uh, i still think that the the fight sequences hold up absolutely mm-hmm. the right. the only other time in star trek television history that uh might rival this would be you know near the end of ds9 the big war but mm-hmm. even that, I'm not sure that it does. This might be the best kind of battle in Star Trek TV history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Up to this do point, you, yeah, I'd agree, definitely. Yeah. You, you I, think I, later I, DS9 tops it? or some I'd, I'd have to see it again to really yeah. make yeah. a fair comparison, but yeah, I see what I, I, I buy that. Something about, yeah, there's something that just still feels so feature filmy about it. You know, it's just mm-hmm. the way, especially with the fi- all the fighting on the bridge and stuff. It's, it's fast. It's cut well. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Okay. Anything else on this one? I, I couldn't help. I couldn't help but think when I was watching this episode, if um, Cisco would have just kicked back and not done anything about the the invasion, <laughs> he wouldn't have any problems down the line with the <laughs> Cardassians. <laughs> what the Klingons? Yeah, <laughs> or the Klingons. I, I love that scene too. Whenever um, uh, Garrick comes in there and they're they're wanting to leak the information to him, and you know. Uh, he says, be sure you get my waist. I think I've lost a few pounds. He goes, no, I think I have everything I need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I love him. Yeah. Okay, we should move on. Yes. Moving on. Six degrees for Way of the Warrior. Hmm. Steve, would you like to go first or second? I'll go first. Obi Ndefo plays Drex, son of Martok, who gets his arse kicked by Worf, son of Moog. In Voyager's sixth season, he plays... Kelamane in the episode Blink of an Eye. Voyager is trapped in the atmosphere and Kelamane sends Voyager a note in a hot air balloon. What does the note say? <laughs> I love this episode. I don't know why, but I've, I've watched this episode a great many times. <laughs> uh, I, remember, I remember the episode and what it's about and so forth, but that kind of detail, yeah. I'm afraid. So Voyager is stuck in the atmosphere and... Yeah. Time advances like uh, it seems like it's uh, much faster down on the surface than it is on Voyager. Yeah. How about um, is anyone out there? That is incorrect. Okay. Mr. Caesar, do you have a response? Um, mine will be a guess as well. Um, sends them a note. I'm going to say something like, doesn't he, I don't know for him to bring back a lost family member i don't know no wow this is this is very rare for me to ask a question that <laughs> neither guy person, neither person got. uh he says please stop shaking the planet <laughs> says, stop the gravitational shift because it's causing uh like earthquakes that are that okay being able to build their building makes sense yeah. i could remember it forgot about the earthquakes that makes sense very good uh mr caesar Christopher Darga plays Commander Kabok, the Klingon that attempts to capture Cassidy Yates' ship and is executed by Martok for his failure. In Voyager's fifth season, he plays Yesik in the episode Think Tank. In this episode, the Think Tank hires Yesik to attack Voyager. What member of Voyager's crew are the Think Tank after? Um, seven of nine? 
You are correct. Seven of nine. Moving on. The Visitor, Season 4, Episode 2, Production Number 476, Original Air Date, October 9th, 1995, written by Michael Taylor, directed by David Livingston, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Tony Todd as the adult Jake Sisko, Galen Gorg as Karina, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Rachel Robinson as Melanie, and Majel Barrett as Computer Voice. Decades into the future, an elderly Jake Sisko is visited at his New Orleans home by a young by a young aspiring author named Melanie. She is curious to know why he stopped writing at the age of 40. Taken by her, Jake reveals how he lost his father, Benjamin Sisko, when he was 18 years old, and how he kept losing him all these decades later. Jake goes on to tell her his father is linked to him by an accident of fate is linked to him in time by an accident of fate. And after all these years, Jake finally tells a young writer the story of his, of his father's visits and that soon he will visit him for the last time. It begins many years ago. I was 18. And the worst thing that could happen to a young man happened to me. My father died. This episode is my favorite episode of any Star Trek series, period. And I don't, I, I'm sure it's probably in your guys' top something, but I'm just saying straight up, that's my, that's my opinion on it. I would agree. I, I think so, too. Yeah. Um, I have a very, you know, my very short list, the original series, um, um, of course, Sitting on the Edge of Forever, and... Um, uh, Next Gen, The Inner Light, Chain of Command Part 2, um, Voyagers, probably Latent Image, Enterprise is easy because I feel like they only made one great episode. Was <laughs> <laughs> it called? Observer, Observer Effect, I forget what it's called. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But um, DS9, I think it's The Visitor. I, I really love Far Beyond the Stars, but mm-hmm. uh, it's The Visitor, and The Visitor may be the best episode of Star Trek. It's certainly... Um, <clears throat> It's certainly 45 of the greatest minutes in TV history because it's, it just, it immediately grabs you and it takes you somewhere emotionally and it's done so every time I've ever watched it. <laughs> I can't yeah, watch this episode without like having to look away to make sure that I don't cry. Oh, you know what? I'm going to be straight with you and I'm just putting myself out here. <laughs> I, I, I bawl the whole time. Not the whole time, but like, <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's, you'd think like, I've see, I've seen this more than all the others <laughs> Because this is my demo episode. This is the episode of, hey, yeah. Star Trek is cool for people that don't know anything about Star yeah. Trek, even sci-fi. And you show it, and yeah, they're blown away. But I've seen this, so I've seen this more than any others, and it still does that to me. And in fact, repeat viewings make it worse, because now <laughs> just, just you know the first coming. scene, or just the music, or just yep. this, just that, all, boom, triggers it. You know, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I tell um, the scene, the scene, the first scene that really gets me, and I, I cry, I, that, I, that I'm, tr- I have to look away to not cry. And I, I, I'm, I'm with, basically with this, Steve, because if I didn't look away, I would, mm-hmm. you know. But uh, the scene in, uh, in sick bay, when, um, I think it's the second time Cisco reappears. Oh, don't and, leave. No, he's yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, it's the moment whenever, whenever um, they all, st- uh, the, the bridge people, they step away so they can work on the problem. And and Cisco says to Jake, you know, come here, tell me about you. How are you doing? You know, they'll figure it out. Well, how are you doing? And he doesn't say anything. He just sits there for a moment, and then he starts to cry, and he kind of bends over, and he doesn't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. That's that gets me. Yeah, it really gets me. Yeah. Um, um it, it culminates from what we've seen from the last three years um, with um, Avery Brooks and um, I always forget his name. Um, Jake. Oh, sir. Um, sir. Oh, sir. Yeah. All right. You know the. Um, the chemistry and the bond that they have as um, these two yeah. actors who play father and son. And um, it just, it really hits home in this episode, all the work that they've done, even it was excellent work the first three seasons. We've, we've talked about it numerous times about how we love mm-hmm. the character relationship between these two. And, um, and this is, the, this is the combination of it to this point. Mm-hmm. And then when they bring Tony Todd in and he just yeah. fits it beautifully I mean you know I mean you know before all this you think of, I think of Tony Todd you know he usually yeah. plays villains or the candy man you know he's always <laughs> kind of like a mean guy performance is always the most surprising to me yeah for sure is. and how does he not get more work like this I have no idea right right you know? well I think he's been a little bit typecast like I said as the bad mm-hmm. guy 
Yeah. Um, but it, he plays it just as beautiful a performance. Um, the scene, the scene where he comes and he meets his wife for the first time when, when Cisco gets there and, um, he just, he breaks down in the same way that, um, that he did when he was younger in the, yeah. the medical bay, you know, and it's, it's, it's mm-hmm. a beautiful scene. You know, he can't say anything. He just misses his father so much. But it, you know, it's, we, we've seen, you know, most, most stuff it's, it's, it's a question of it's romantic love, right? Or if mm-hmm. there's a death scene, you know, it's 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 uh, a significant other in that way, you know. But here, it's all about the love between a father and son, and and it's amazing to me. Yes, if you've seen those first three seasons, I think it's you haven't. You have such a deep connection to mm-hmm. these characters, and those two characters have such a deep father son connection and relationship but there's they're so good in this episode that i don't they, you know like you said steve it's kind of the demo episode that you don't have to have seen that to mm-hmm, still be mm-hmm. touched by their relationship which is crazy considering that's not the kind of love we're used to seeing portrayed in such right. an emotional way right um, by it totally I was thinking about the the storyline that I've seen similar to this recently. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen it as the time traveler's wife, but it's similar in the fact of pulling through time and that kind of thing. But it's a it's a relationship between a man and a woman, or a husband and a wife. And mm-hmm. I would agree. And I'm just used saying that because I would agree. This is a father son. It's it, you don't see it's see that I can't I can't name for you some other I don't know cinematic relationship, especially in um, 45 minutes they do this. Yeah. Yeah, it's, um, it's, amazing. It's, a, it's brilliant, you know, and it works from every perspective. I mean, I, 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 I've thought about this a great deal and, I'm, and we'll talk about it, but how does it do it? I mean, we can sit here and say, okay, well, they did this, they did this, but I'm, I mean, it, this tears me up watching this. It's like, it's like a, a weird deal. And I, I think it's, it's, it's from both angles. You, know, you have, okay, you, you've got the father who has to see the son not like sacrifice himself in multiple different ways throughout his life, you know? And so that, that's, that's wrenching. And then of course the big thing is the son who never, you know, it's like a, it's like a wound that never heals. That's mm-hmm. I think the big thing It's like, let's, let's just keep bringing this up. It's a wound that absolutely can't heal because of the circumstances, you know? And, and, uh, yeah. It, now, it, so what this episode is about, you know, there's a lot of things that it can be about, but, but for me, the main thing is this, this inability to move on and how that mm-hmm. kind of, that can kind of destroy your life. And, and he has this, I don't know, on one hand, <laughs> it's extraordinary. You know, it's not something that any normal person could go through because he, you're right. He keeps this wound keeps getting reopened every time mm-hmm. Cisco reappears. But yeah. on the other hand, he also has this extraordinary opportunity to reverse the entire thing that a normal mm-hmm. person wouldn't have either. Yeah. Well, it's, it's that bond that doesn't keep him, you know, it's, I mean, you think about it. If, you know, you have that you have a person that close to you, whether it be a wife, a parent, or a child. And if you knew they were alive, and if you knew they were, you know, you you couldn't let that go. I mean, like you said early on in the episode, if he was if he had died, he would have healed and he would have moved on with his life. But him coming back over and over again, you, you, there's there's no way there's no way See, he maybe could a lot ever of let this, that go. And I, I don't that think uncertainty. It, well, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I don't think of him as he wasted his life um, doing what he did. You know, um, there was just no other choice for him. Mm-hmm. He right. had to help his father and there was no other, there well, was no other choice for him. Like a parent, if their child was kidnapped mm-hmm. um, and they never heard from them again, you know, after a number of years, you'd almost, you'd almost want to just find the body, you know, you'd right. want to know. And see, this is for for me. This is this is what like great great television, great cinema, great art can do is teach somebody about something. I have not lived that experience. I haven't had a close person that you know is gone missing. I don't know where they are, or even have gone off to war and gone missing, or anything of the sort. But this can kind of give you an indication on what that kind of must be like. You know, it's like look what happens when you can't have closure. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I want to, you know, I'm sure you do too, Brian, the music, the, this is new music for this episode, right? We haven't heard the, yeah, this, it, well, this, it, it's, it's yeah. awesome because like Steve, you said earlier that, uh, you're immediately drawn mm-hmm. in emotionally. Um, and then after you, you see it the second time, you know, you yep. hear that, that theme at the very beginning, that musical cue and, and I'm immediately so drawn in and emotional, you know, mm-hmm. and it's that look away so you don't cry kind of thing for me. It's unusual for Star Trek to, to do themes, and mm-hmm. this is Dennis McCarthy, right? 
It must be because I love it. Um, <laughs> yes, yes. In this, was in, this instance, yeah, in this instance, they made an exception <clears throat> and let him do these thematic things, and it just works like oh, it mm-hmm. works so well. Um, well forgive me for that. No, did they ever? Did they ever use these themes again, or is this just no. one time? It's just this, I believe. Yeah. In in that way, it all, that, that reminds me of Inner Light. That way, that's another favorite of mine of Next Gen. Well, Inner, Inner Light, they get away with it. Yes. Uh, they get away with that the musical theme because he literally has an instrument and he needs yes, to be able true. he needs to have a simple little theme. <laughs> yes. But here it's 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 just score. Mm-hmm. Um, now that's another thing worth mentioning too is um, <clears throat> the the awesome way this episode opens. Mm-hmm. You know, set way off in in the future, and uh, we're just like, oh my god, that's 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 an old Jake. You know, mm-hmm. I do remember around the time of the first time I saw this episode. Cause I remember talking to you about it, Steve, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this is when I was, this is before I went to college when I was still in the army. And I remember talking to you about this episode on the phone and it was one of the first individual episodes I think we ever really discussed. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it was just, it was just so good. Mm-hmm. I just want to talk about it. Well, and, you know, what's what's interesting. And it, it like so many other, not all, but like so many other great Trek episodes, it's very unusual in structure or in the way it's set up. I mean, if you think about this episode, that's so incredible is focused around the least prominent recur- uh, normal character in the, mm-hmm. in the series. Half-time and it's most time not played by the primary actor, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, yeah. Um, what do you guys think of the character Melody? I like the way they wrote this and they brought her in and it's, he's telling the story and bringing it in. And I can't recall if we ever, I mean, you might have it in your trivia. I can't recall if we ever saw her again. No, not as, not as that character, but as an actress. Now this, this, um, th- that element of it was based on, uh, you know, JD Salinger. He never granted interviews. And like the one time he did was a high school student in 1980 showed up at his door and he granted him, and he gave that high school student an in it. <laughs> Interesting. You know? uh, and that's kind of that's that was one of the, uh, the writer's ideas for this episode. And of course, Andrew Robinson's daughter. Of course. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yes, Melanie was played by Andrew Robinson's daughter, and, and no, she doesn't play anything else in Star Trek. Do you, um, do you guys remember seeing that? I mean, you know, we just talked about Way of the Warrior and how different that episode is from this. You know, we started the. Um, the fourth season kind of like on a, on a roller coaster ride. And then the very second episode is this incredible standalone episode that kind of has nothing to do with anything that's going on in the storyline at all. And, um, it it was just, it was an interesting contrast. And I, I do remember that from way back when, when I first Mm -hmm. saw these. Yeah, I was, I was, I was stunned. I was stunned. I mean, both at the course, the quality of that episode, this episode, but also what had happened the week before, you know, it was like all that boom, boom. It was just, you know, you just like, you, like you needed that kind of affirmation as a Trek fan. It's like, you know, I'm on the right boat or whatever here, you know, it's, it was amazing. I mean, and I think, you know, we, we, I think we'll see that we'll see that more, you know, there's other episodes. What is it? Um, uh, there's more episodes that are kind of like this, not as not as good as this, but um, well, they, that 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 standalone totally episode structure that that structure where you just open in such a totally different, like cold way. You know what the mm-hmm. heck is going on? You know, far beyond the stars, right? That's what I was thinking. That's that, that kind yeah. of thing. Um, but it's it's interesting because it works it works so well. You, you almost why don't they just do that more often? Cause it's so good. <laughs> but, but the the thing is. What makes it work is that it is the, that contrast. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like watching an episode of of um, I don't know a Twilight Zone or something where you just expect it to be completely different every single time. And once you do that, then the fact right. that it's different is no longer unique. Yeah. You know, it's, it's you're not noticing it like that. One, real quick, and I know we're, I'm sure we're going over time on this one because there's so much to say. But another, another thing that's very unusual too, talk about cues that bring about emotion, is a, is, a, is a special effect serving that purpose. And the light that every time Cisco reappears also strikes me that way too. Every that little the the light that either comes from around the corner or behind the couch or wherever it may be that Cisco has appeared in the time span also does that to me in the same way the music does. It's kind of like oh he's yeah. back and here we go again, you know. You know, and and one other thing I wanted to mention too. So I talked about how that first scene in Sick Bay really mm-hmm. cheers me up, but kind of the next most emotional point to me is, oh, it's so good. I I love how the very final time Cisco appears, as as opposed to every other time, 
the final time he appears is uh, you know right before old Jake uh, mm-hmm. dies, <clears throat> and it's just he's just sitting there looking at him, you know, and and yeah. Jake and Jake just wakes up and it's such a quiet moment. Mm-hmm. It's so that's in that way it's so different from all the other moments. Mm-hmm. And um it, it's so emotional to me when when Cisco says, you know, Jake, no, my sweet boy, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Hmm. And that's um, you know, and I I will go back to the you know, we're going to talk about whether this episode holds up or not. I'm obviously I thought three of us will say yes, but yeah, this is this really. uh, um this is kind of this is what I get. These are my, you know, I love the storylines of, you know, the Dominion and everything that's going on. It's entertaining, it's great, but um these are the episodes that I really love about Star Trek where they can delve into the kind of really the human soul. And this is, and these are the, the sweet spots for me when I'm watching, when I, that's why, that's why I own as much Star Trek as I do. It's why I watch these episodes mm-hmm. every few years. It's because of episodes like this, that you can just, they just delve into the human soul and the human yeah, spirit. Yeah. This and that relationship, the, this insight into the human condition is what is so universal. It, this is exactly what we're talking about when we say it holds up. You know, this story would have made sense to somebody in, in you know, if you get over the sci-fi parts of the time, you know, it would have made some sense to somebody 2,000 years ago and it'll make sense to somebody 2,000 years from now, you know, mm-hmm. because the bond between a father and his son is a, is a universal uh, condition. It's, it's something that, that, that we all can understand, mm-hmm. even if we've never had a son. Because we all have a we all have a father. Yeah. <laughs> and real quick, Brian, you know, obviously, first time you've seen this since you've had a son. Any different effect watching it in that respect? Uh, I, I, I mean, that did occur to me. It, it, it did. Um, but it was it was already such an emotional episode. Yeah, how's it? <laughs> where do you yeah. go from there? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Uh, you know, but we so we I guess we we kind of all talked about what it's about for us as we as we kind of went through this discussion. You know, if anything, my last comment on 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 what it's about is that you know, it's almost implied it, that you know, like when Cisco pleads with him, "Promise me you'll let 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 go, mm-hmm. let go, Jake. You still have a chance for a life." You know, about three quarters of the way into the episode, um, and you do get this sense that if you can't move on, your life stops, you mm-hmm. know, you have to be able to move on for your life to have any kind of, of, um, f- fulfilling, uh, direction. And I, I'm so glad that in this episode he does, even though he knows he's going to cut the cord by killing himself and kind of reset what has happened. Uh, he does write those that short those short stories, and you know, as he says, I, I tried to fulfill my father's request. Because if it weren't for that, then I'd almost, you know, I, I wouldn't like that if 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 it just said, you know, this is a life wasted. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Right. If, and but but because of that, because he does write those last stories, you know, it shows that in a way he was able to move on, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and do something with his life. There's one thing I don't like about this episode. It's the futuristic uniforms that um, oh, <laughs> Dax, <long> and, <laughs> Dax and um, Bashir are wearing. They're kind of they look like pajama, more like pajamas than. than Aren't they the uh, same shows. ones from uh, Next Gen's finale? All good. Yeah, things. yeah, I yeah. think so. I think it's all good things fault on that. <laughs> it's definitely the same the, like, separated looking communicator and stuff. They just yeah. pulled those out of wardrobe. Yeah, we'll use these. Yeah, <laughs> it's like two scenes. What are you gonna do? Uh, all right. Well, we could talk about the visitor. For several episodes. <laughs> but we have to move on. Six degrees for the visitor. Oh, what's our score? Uh, Caesar has one? Yes. yes. Okay, Steve. Yeah. Uh, Galen Yorg plays Karina, future Jake's brief wife. She also played Nori in the Voyager third season episode, Warlord. Nori's husband, Tiernan dies, but not before he transfers his consciousness to a member of Voyager's crew so that he can continue his day job as a tyrant. What Voyager crew member becomes his new host? Oh, yes. I, I, do, I do recall this one. That would be Kiss. That is correct. 
And that's probably just because those black latex uniforms didn't <laughs> look good on Ensign Kim. <laughs> All right, uh, Mr. Caesar. So yes, I had, I did have a question in here that was more six degrees because I was going to ask about who Rachel Robinson was. Robinson was related to. Oh, I blew it. That. So I have a substitute question, just in case that happened. It's just not very six degreesy, Mr. Caesar. What sci-fi award was this show nominated for? What sci-fi award? Yes. Oh. It was nominated for an Emmy for makeup, but that's a general kind of award. There's a specific uh, award given for science fiction that this show is nominated for. I'm not familiar with sci-fi awards. Um, uh, I'm trying, I have, honestly I have no idea. Steve, this is your chance to take the lead. All right. I do believe it's the Hugo Award. You are correct. It was nominated for a Hugo and uh, lost to Babylon 5. What? <laughs> I'll see how this lose to anything. I don't understand. <laughs> it didn't lose, but it lost to Babylon 5. What? Well, well wasn't, wasn't Patrick Stewart always upset that the Star, Star Trek's number one more um, story or acting awards? They always just wore technical awards. Yep. Uh, oh, and, uh, on a further note, this um, episode aired a day after my 20th birthday. I did not realize that until... Uh-oh. Our birthdays are close together then. Hippocratic Oath Season 4, Episode 3, Production Number 475, Original Air Date, October 16th, 1995. Teleplay by Lisa Klink, Story by Nicholas Correa and Lisa Klink, Directed by Rene Abergenois, Music Composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast includes Scott McDonald as Garan Agar, Stephen Davies as Arak Taral, Jerry Roberts as Mesoclan, Marshall Teague as Temo Zuma, Roderick Gar as Regina Tosh, and Michael H. Balos as the Jim Hadar Number 1. Returning from a mission in the Gamma Quadrant, Bashir and O'Brien respond to what they believe is a ship in trouble on a remote planet. Instead, a plasma field causes them to crash land on the surface where they become prisoners of Jemadar soldiers. The pair soon learn the Jemadar leader, Garanagar, has brought his men to this planet to cure them of their addiction to Ketracel White, where he once was cured after crashing there. Now he needs Bashir's help before his men turn on him and kill him and then Bashir and O'Brien. I'm trying to make you understand there are larger issues here. We're dealing with a complex situation. No, it is not complex. It is simple. Those men out there are Dominion soldiers. We help them. We may end up unleashing the Jemadar against the Federation, and that is a risk I am not willing to take. So we do not help them, and that's the end of it. <sighs> poor, poor Hippocratic Oath. <laughs> it's a victim of its spot in the schedule. You know, if this had been a little earlier, a little later, yeah, I mean, I'd be next to Visitor in Way of the Warrior. I, I like this episode. Even, you know, I was watching, I was thinking that, you know, watching The Way of the Warrior and The Visitor, and I couldn't quite remember if I liked Hippocratic Oath or not. And then I'm watching, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is a good episode. It's, um, yeah, I, I do, mostly for, you know, the Bashir O'Brien relationship. And, uh, you know, it's complex, you know, nothing, stuff's not always rosy between friends yeah. and stuff happens. And, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's real, you know. Yeah, it's um, another example of, of DS9 working for me, you know, holding up for me in a way that sometimes originals or, or uh, next gen, maybe it doesn't because, you know, you've got the end of this episode and um, it's, it's not all wrapped up and nice and happy between them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. This, um, I, I, when I'm watching this, I, I, I the second time around, I, I noticed that, you know, they're both right and they're both wrong from their point of views. I think, um, and they never they never go back to this, but you know we we have, we've had these reoccurring episodes um, throughout the seasons with um, Bashir and O'Brien, and I think the first one was what when they go to Bajor and you know um, O'Brien becomes the the spiritual leader of the village, or he's forced into yeah, that. Yeah. And then there's one mm-hmm. where they're they're um, you know they're running because they because they know this cure disease, disease, and then we have this one where it's. Um, they they become a little bit more perilous every time we have an O'Brien and Bashir episode, and um, this one doesn't end all nice and happy for either of them. Well, you know, you talk about maybe they were both right and they were both wrong. If if uh, Doctor Bashir had been able to come up with some way to free the Jem'Hadar from being addicted uh, to Ketracel White, um, would that have been helping or hurting the Dominion? You know. 
Yeah, it's hard to say. Hard to say. Go well, either I think, way. I think there was a difference between um, Goragar and the rest of them. I think even if the others were cured, like a, let's, I'll just use a second as a, an example, I don't think it would have made them better and more better people or so to speak. Not necessarily, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think uh, I think this Goron was uh, he was he his mind was much more open than than his other soldiers, and I don't think him being the others being cured of the catcher cell would have done the same. But well, you know, I was reminded just a little of uh, the next gen storyline that they kind of touched on several times. You know, with um with Hugh Borg, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, freeing this this one in a way um and how does that how does one being free uh you know affect the others around him um here the fact that one is free you know how does that affect the others the other jemadar around him you know th- these are these are a couple of interesting ideas that um they never really get to <clears throat> mm-hmm. here i mean um this is the first mention of Ketrasil White, right? Even though we see it, this first it's the first time they name yeah, it. Yeah, they actually name it. They've they've referenced it before as the drug that they were, you know, genetically yeah. uh, addicted to, and needed to survive. But they never actually named it Ketrasil White. Yeah. That's correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's also good. The the B story has a little to do with the A story, but you know we it's, it's entertaining. Yeah, yeah, and when it, it addresses now that right we're off, we're talking Worf about to be security uh, and yeah, right. Worf second guessing Odo's yeah, ability yeah. to uh, run security. Uh, yeah. Now, on one hand, I, I like the B story in that it's you know, hey, look, Worf, you know, you're mm-hmm. used to being the security guy, but that's not it, things work differently on DS9. This is not next gen, and that's cool that they they got that out of the way. However, uh, God, at this point, it really feels like we've seen that same you know Federation person's mm. lack of trust in Odo storyline mm-hmm. so many like what yeah. three times at least <laughs> you know it's starting to feel a little redundant I suppose yeah yeah well I think I think it kind of made sense where they they kind of set up the relationship between um Odo and um Worf and um Way of the Warrior and it wasn't like um they hated each other but they were not the best of friends after that episode, I would say. And so I think this kind of led into the Hippocratic Oath. I, I kind of agree with you when you make that point about, um, yeah, this has been done before trusting Odo or not. But I don't I, I don't know if it had anything to do with trust. I think it's just more Worf and his way to adapt into it. And this, you know, that was the closest thing, you know, his security. It just kind of led to that. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking here at my notes on Hippocratic Oath and I just keep thinking... Boy, I sure love the visitor. <laughs> <laughs> I like that opening thing where they're taught, or uh, Bashir and O'Brien. Oh, yeah. uh, he says, so you like- cake was a man. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, yeah, it's a bit, well, you know, you think about that, it's a very contrasting scene, you know, it's very entertaining and it's amusing. And then you have the end scene where they're like, uh, don't worry, I didn't feel like playing darts either. You know, they're kind of yeah. like... Eh. Yeah. 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 <laughs> each other. I don't know. We're we're <laughs> we don't have a lot to say here. Did we do did we use all our mojo talk on the about visitor and way of the warrior? We should have just delayed Hippocratic Oath and been into the next into the next spot. <laughs> Trust me, the Hippocratic Oath's a good episode. It's just yeah. All right. Brian's okay, right. I, I like the title. I think that's toward <laughs> what it's about, you know. First you yeah. know. Yeah. Yes. What do you guys got for what this is about? I don't know. Trust. All right. Great. What about you, Steve? (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. Um, I don't, I don't know that there, that there's uh, the only thing I get out of it. The feel is that there's, there's, there's gray areas, you know, there's not, there's not all the, 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 the right choice is not always clear. And, um, and that results in conflict, but that's really all I've got out of it. You know, we're saying that the right choice could still be the wrong choice. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes there isn't, right choice you know and, and it's not, not always clear and and obviously when you disagree with someone close to you it uh there can be problems but but at the same time they stay friends you know they move on from there and that's that's life you know well yeah they kind of set that up you know, o'brien you know i think he explained himself pretty well at the end he's like no matter what you think of me i was 
Mm-hmm. I did what I did to save your life. Save your yeah. life. Yeah. So, yeah. and I think Julian um, respected that in a way. Yeah. But Julian is a doctor. You know, he his first duty instinctively is to his patient. He kind of thought of these Jemadar as patients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's not thinking about his own. Safety. Yeah, safety. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, I feel like we're shortchanging Hippocratic Oath. Mm-hmm. But that is not our fault. That is the visitor's <laughs> fault. <laughs> yeah. uh, enjoy the hypocrite. For those out there listening, the hypocrite. Yeah, yeah. Enjoy the enjoy the episode. It's a good episode. It's um, it's it's you'll enjoy it. <laughs> but it's right after the visitors, so you might want to wait a few days in between. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm just gonna be talking in circles if I continue to do so. So we're just gonna move on. All right. Uh, I feel like, no, come on. Uh, okay, yeah, let's move on. Okay. What's our score here for six degrees? We got uh, two to one? One to I one. I believe so. I believe so. Two to one. Steve, you're winning? Yeah. Yes, as usual. All right. Uh, six degrees for Hippocratic Oath. Uh, Steve, Jeremy Roberts plays Mesoclan. The Jem'Hadar that is injured when O'Brien and Bashir attempt to escape. Hmm. Uh, Roberts also played Starfleet Officer Lieutenant Commander Dimitri Valtain in Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. For what episode of Star Trek did he reprise this role? Hmm. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, That would be... Coming up with a title here. <laughs> um, what series was it? Well, if I can't keep up with the title and I tell you the series, then he's more likely to steal it. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> it's good thinking. First, you know. <laughs> yeah. Hippocratic Oath. Wait, wait, um, you have a lot to say about this episode. <laughs> it's not just, you know, ruined because of the visitor. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not getting the title. I know. I know it. I just can't think of the title, to be honest with you. It's not coming to you. <laughs> okay. Well, you're still in the lead. <laughs> Can you repeat the repeat the question, please? Yes. Uh, the same actor that played um, the Jem'Hadar that uh, his leg gets injured by uh, O'Brien's escape attempt. He played Lieutenant Commander Dimitri Valtain in Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country. He reprised that role in an episode of Star Trek. What was the name of the episode? Mm, I know the episode. It's with Sulu, right? In Voyager. That is correct. Oh my gosh! I don't. Mm-hmm. Mm, let me just think of something. It was their thirty. It wasn't the thirtieth anniversary special, or their. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I know everything about it, but the damn title. Um, Damn it, I don't know. You're unable to recollect the title. Oh, must be remember something. Remember something. <laughs> Flashback. Flashback. Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right. So, Adam, this is your chance to tie it up. All right. All right. So, uh, Scott McDonald makes his second appearance on DS9 as Granagar. Granagar, excuse me, the leader of the Jemadar, who is somehow immune to the need for Ketracel White. Name the character he plays in DS9's first season episode, Captive Pursuit, where he befriends O'Brien. Name the character? Yep. Oh my god, what is it? Could you tell it was the same guy? I mean, I... <clears throat> um, no. No? I was, well, I mean, thinking about it now, I guess I could see it, but I wasn't actually thinking about it. Um, Tong? Oh, you're so close. Steve? Tosk. Tosk! <laughs> that is correct. Mm. Uh, see, look at that. Now, uh, listeners... I apologize if we shortchanged Hippocratic Oath's, you know, critical analysis mm. in the face of both the Visitor and Way of the Warrior. However, we gave you some very exciting <laughs> nail-biting <laughs> moments there. In our <laughs> okay, so uh, two weeks from now, we're going to be doing the next four episodes of Deep Space Nine's fourth season, um, including uh, Little Green Men. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Um, you can follow us on Twitter. That's uh, Trek Companion. 
like our Facebook page, which is uh, facebook.com slash trekcompanion. Um, leave us a review on iTunes. That would be the most awesome thing you can do. Um, send us an email at trekcompanion at gmail.com. So until next time, we will catch you later. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.